The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. It will be to the far right in your Bible. Philippians chapter number 1. And today we will close out this chapter together as we discuss verse 19 through verse number 30. Philippians chapter number 1. Church, what wonderful singing. What a great opportunity to be in the Lord's house today and worship freely together. I want to um, begin reading at the very end of verse number 18 in many of your translations. You'll find that the end of verse number 18 either uh, goes with the next paragraph picking up in 19 or somehow it's indented or emboldened or something to that effect. And that is because uh, the uh, interpreters here are unsure as to whether uh, the last yes and I will rejoice is the culmination uh, verse 12 through 18, or if it is the intrusion into the next set of things that we rejoice for. And so I'll pick up there at the end of verse 18 and read down to verse number 20, or verse number 30, I should say. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, you're, uh, so that you'll be proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. May the Lord grant His blessing to the reading and the proclamation of His inerrant and infallible and perfect Word. Would you join me for a word of prayer as we look into this text today? Oh, Heavenly Father, now I cry out to You along with all of the other people in this room that You have already been meeting with us from our Sunday school and Bible hour, Lord, where we fellowship and we learn the Word of God. And then we come in here together and greet each other and we fellowship and we sing and we give and we pray. 
And now, Lord, we have opened up the most wonderful, perfect book in all the world. In fact, the very book that you say in the psalm you esteem higher than your own name. That when we read this book, we are hearing the very voice of God. And so, I pray now that you would do a beautiful and a wonderful work in all of our hearts today. That we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to make the children of God conform to the Son of God. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. W.E. Gladstone was the Prime Minister of England for uh, several years. Very stately man. And a young man came to Gladstone one day and he said, uh, Dr. Gladstone, I have all of my life figured out. Uh, he was no more than in his early 20s, but somehow he had figured all of life out. Isn't that the way it is? You have life figured out when you're 15 and 20, and then by the time you're in your 30s, you realize you don't know anything. Gladstone said, well, please do tell me, sir, how you will live all of your life. And the young man said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to study law. Dr. Gladstone said, well, that's great. And then what? He said, well, then I shall sit for the bar exam. Dr. Gladstone said, that is wonderful. And then what? He said, well, then I shall serve in Parliament. Dr. Gladstone said, well, that is wonderful, but then what? And getting somewhat frazzled, the young man said, well, I shall do many great things for Britain. Once again, the repeating phrase came back, and then what? He said, well, then I, I, I shall retire and take life easy. Once again, Dr. Gladstone said, and then what? And frazzled, the young man said, well, I guess at some point I long in my years I will die. And as you might guess, once again he's asked, and then what? And in despair and frustration and confusion and chaos, the young man said, well, I never thought about that yet. And Dr. Gladstone said, young man, go home and think life through. And I believe that is wise words for us, for we must learn to live life from the end to the beginning. And unless we have become the kind of people that have settled convictions about life hereafter, we will never live this life to the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never be all that we can be and should be, giving ourselves and all of our life to the Lord Jesus if we do not settle some convictions in our lives. And so whether you're in here today and you're 12 years old or 17 years old, or I know that we have six or seven graduating seniors in high school this year, maybe you find yourself in your 20s and you've passed college, but you haven't yet found that great and wonderful career that you want, and you're wondering where to go, or maybe you're here today and you have two or three young children and you're trying to figure life out, or maybe you find yourself here today in the latter part of life and your kids are grown and gone and you're now celebrating grandchildren, but you're still looking for what the Lord wants in life, I would say to you on this day, in this hour, at this moment, you must become the kind of people that have settled convictions about life and about death. And there are a host of good biblical convictions that we could speak about today. But I want to open this passage to you 
and show you three settled convictions that were alive in the life of the Apostle Paul that all these years later we should put into our own lives today. Here's the first point that I want to make. We should have a settled conviction that we will rejoice in God's saving work in our life. Look at verse number 19 and 20 again. Let me read those for you. I'll back up. I, that last part of verse number 18 is really where the thrust and the verb is here. Yes, and I will rejoice. It is not just that he is rejoicing in verse 17 and 18 that the Word of the living God is being preached and the Gospel is going forth that people are being saved, whether in pretense or in truth. But now he turns his attention to verse 19 and 20. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. You might have the word deliverance. The word really here is salvation. It is where we get our English word soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. And the word here, deliverance or salvation, is not mainly directed toward his personal deliverance from prison to be delivered back to the church at Philippi. That might be the case here, but it is an overarching eschatological, there's a word for your water cooler conversation tomorrow, it is just this overarching goal of the great salvific plan of God for my life and your life. He says, I know and I will rejoice that what is going on in my life and what God is doing with his saving purpose in the world, I will resolve to rejoice in God's work no matter where I am and what is going on, no matter the circumstances of my life, I will rejoice in Jesus Christ. Amen? I just want to ask all of us here this morning, is that where you are in your life? Have you determined it, made a settled conviction that no matter what comes your way and what you face and what goes on, that you will rejoice in what God is doing in His great salvation work in the world and in your life? How do we rejoice in the salvation work of Jesus Christ in our lives and in the world? Look back down at the text, if you will. First of all, through the prayers of the saints. Do you see that in verse number 19? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through what is the means of the deliverance and salvation. Yes, it is Jesus that saves us. Yes, it is Jesus that carries us on to heaven. But how is it that we remain faithful through the prayers of other people? Brothers and sisters, can I just pause for a moment with you today and just simply ask you two things. First of all, are you consistently praying for the other people in this church and believers around the world? Do you really lift them up? Do you really spend time in prayer praying for God's people? Praying that God would give them courage and strength and power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and help and healing and deliverance. Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for the other believers in this church? Do you pray for the missionaries that we are sending around the world? Do you pray for the work and the salvation of all the world through Jesus Christ? Do we really pray? You want to experience joy in your life? Pray for other people. But I want to turn that on its head for a moment and I want you to think about something for a moment that maybe you haven't thought about. What's the Apostle Paul saying here? The admonition is not only the charge, is not only to pray, but he says to receive the prayers. 
My deliverance, my salvation comes through the prayers of this church at Philippi. And I just have to ask you, when is the last time you stopped and wept and praised God and thanked God that people were praying for you and received what God is doing for you through other people? Sadly, in my own personal life, you know when I have experienced and been sensitive to God's prayer or the people, uh, people's prayers in my life the most? Most of the time it's been when I've been overseas on a mission trip, tired and weak, stayed up too late in a different culture at a different time. And there's been a number of times in my life where I've stood to preach somewhere and had my hands shaking because my, my blood sugar was probably not where it needed to be. And I was tired and my brain wasn't thinking right. And somehow I opened up the Word of God and, and from these poor stammering lips, as the song said, the Gospel poured forth and God did some amazing work in the lives of people. And I've stepped down in tears and realized in that moment that our home church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, right back here in Raleigh, North Carolina, that many people in this very room were praying for God's power and work to take place. I want to tell you something. Every day and every week of your life, there are people that are praying for you. Receive it. Live in it. And rejoice because of what God is doing. Man, when I was growing up in church, it used to be the kind of thing where it was, uh, we'd have these testimony services where on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday night, people would just stand all over the building. And of course you had, you had Aunt Sally and Uncle Bill who talked too much. They just liked to hear themselves talk and they'd ramble on for 15 minutes. But there was always some people that would stand up and say, God did this for me this week. God helped me this week. God's been working in my life. God saved this person. God performed a miracle. God did a healing. And you walked away from a service that night, knowing that God was real, knowing that God was powerful, knowing that God could help you. Why? Because you were confident in the prayers of other people. We must get back to that. I want to encourage you today. Have a settled conviction to rejoice in the saving work of God in the world and in your life. How? Through the prayers of other people. And how? What? Number two, through the supply. Or your version might say, through the help, through the provision, through the supply. Look back down to the text there. You'll see it. Not only through the prayers, but also through the supply of the Spirit of God. Look, Emmanuel Baptist Church, all right? I know you might think I'm a little Baptocostal sometimes. Okay? But don't get scared about the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. And He is alive and well. And He didn't fall asleep on this Sunday morning. He is here. And I love it when people come down to the altar. That's a wonderful thing. But I'm going to tell you something. Whenever the Word of God goes forth, the Spirit is in this congregation at this time, in this place, and He is working on your heart right now. And for those of you that are hurting and weak and wounded and suffering, I want you to know that the supply of the Holy Spirit will bring joy unspeakable and full of glory to your life if you'll let Him fill you up. So Steve, how do I, how do I work at that? I'll give you... A, I'll give you a couple applications in a second. Let me give you the third. Look back down at the text. We rejoice. We have this confidence, this settled conviction to rejoice in God's saving work through the prayers of other people with the provision, the supply of the Holy Spirit. And by exalting, by exalting, by rejoicing in Christ Jesus Look at what he says here in verse number 20, or verse number, uh, uh, yeah, verse number 20. He says, according to, that is in alignment with, to my earnest 
expectation and hope. The word here for expectation is when you're looking into the darkness and you're straining your neck and you're looking for something. Here is the expectation and hope that you are looking in and knowing that this is what you want to take place in your life. That in no way, look back down the text, in no way that you'll be ashamed but that you'd have full courage right now in your life that now as always you would honor Christ, exalt, magnify, and glorify Christ. Where? Not in some ethereal world, but in your body. Living for Jesus and honoring Jesus has hands and feet and eyes and nose and life. Put real life to worshiping and honoring Jesus. Have a settled, settled conviction to rejoice, to have joy over what God is doing in your life right now. One person put it this way, joy is the flag that flies over our castle that says the king is home. Someone else said this, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. You see, when you're confident that God is in control of your life no matter what is going on, and that He wills His glory and your good, you can be at peace and you can have joy. Say, what are some things to remember about that? Number one, trust in the larger work of God's salvation. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and guess what? He's going to end up dying at some point. But what is he looking at? Not so much being released from the bonds of that very same prison, but knowing that all that is going on in his life is going to result in the great salvation of the world through Jesus Christ. Number two, appreciate and lean on the prayers of other brothers and sisters. Number three, remember that the Spirit of God is overseeing your life. And number four, boldly exalt Christ Jesus every day of your life. Quickly now, let me give you a second settled conviction from verse number 21 down to verse number 26. I will honor Christ in life and death. That has to become the focus and the mantra of every believer's life. Look back down at verse number 21. You should have this circled, underlined, and memorized in your Bible and in your life. If you want to sum up the Christian life, this is it. For to me, it's an emphatic here, for for to me, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is the mantra of my life. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want you to understand here that he is saying, I am in an all-out with all of my courage, with all of my effort, with everything that I have. If I live, I am the Lord's. If I die, I am the Lord's. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to Jesus. Is that the way that you lived this past week? Is that the way that you're living this morning? Is that the way that you're training your children and your family and your spouse and your coworkers? Is that the way that you're living? That no matter what comes, I will give Jesus everything. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, G.K. Chesterton said this, it is not that Christianity has been, uh, has been tried and left unwanting, it's that it has been left untried. I can't tell you how many times people will come and say, well, I can't hear the Lord. He doesn't speak to me. I'm not, I don't feel God. Just begin to be obedient to Jesus every day of your life and you'll feel Him soon enough. Give everything that you have. 
Christ makes death gain and heaven far better. Do you see that down in the text? Verse number 21, to die is gain. You know the way most people live. Most believers say to live is gain and to die is Christ because you honor your life more than you do Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it just the opposite. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And why does he say that? He goes on to say this. I, I, I'm in a straight betwixt two. There's your old King James English, right? He said, I've got, I'm hard-pressed between the both because my desire is to depart and be with Christ in heaven. Why? It's far better. Do you know what makes heaven heaven? Not streets of gold and not mansions and not gates of pearl. I, my brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Is there anybody that's gone out here this past week and kissed the asphalt on the ground? Do you go out here and slobber all over the asphalt? You know why you don't do that? Because that's what we pave our roads with. When you get to heaven, the very road that you walk on is gold. And do you know the only reason why the Bible gives you any of that imagery at all is so that you might say, man, that's wonderful and glorious. How much more glorious will it be to be with Jesus? Ah, oh, but... If you don't want to be with Jesus now, you, you probably won't be happy in heaven. Because He is everything that makes heaven. Jesus makes dying gain. Jesus makes heaven better. Secondly, Christ makes life fruitful for me and helpful for others. Look down at the text. Verse number 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. Brothers and sisters, don't you see? The Apostle Paul says, look, if I live, I have purpose. When Christ is the center of our life, when I stand up with courage and say, I'm going to live every day for Jesus, it gives purpose and meaning and aim and focus to our lives. And it's meaningful. Look down, if you will, at verse number um, 25. Verse 24, he says, Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for you Convinced of this, that it's more necessary for you for me to live? I know that I will remain and continue with you for the progress of your for progress and joy of your faith. When we live for Jesus in this life, it gives us focus, it gives us purpose, and it allows us to live our life for other people. When you live your life for you, you get so upset when things don't go your way. And the reason why is because Christ is not the center of your life. Put Him at the center. I was reading this last week and thinking about the courage to just stand up and say from this point on in my life, if I live, I'm going to live for Jesus. And if I die, I'm going to die for Him as well. And um, in 480 B.C., I was reading this story in 480 B.C., Leonidas in the Battle of Thermopia. You like that? <laughs> the Greeks fought the Persians in 480 BC. True story. You can Google it. Don't Google it now. Cut the Wi Fi in here. All right, no, I'm just 480 BC. Leonidas, with an army of 1,400 men, held off the Persian forces of 70,000 men for three straight days while the Greeks were able to retreat. 
One of the emissaries from the Persian army uh, sent to Leonidas, he said, you are so outnumbered and our 70,000 strong force, we will fire our arrows so many at the same time that they will black out the sun. And Leonidas said this, then we shall fight in the shade. That is the kind of the resolve that every believer must walk out of here today with that come hell or high water, I will live for Jesus, I will die for Jesus, I'll give Him everything I've got with my family, with my work, with His church, with everything. He is number one. And unless you're living like that, you can't say along with the Apostle Paul that you have the settled conviction for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I fear sometimes that men find Christianity to be passive. And they would rather watch men beat each other to death on the gridiron than to serve Jesus. And I would tell you that if that is your philosophy of life, you have no understanding of the Christian faith. You begin one week of your life to give everything you have every day for Jesus. And you'll find that it is the greatest battle that you ever stepped into in your entire life. Number three. We must have a settled conviction that we will live worthy of the gospel in unity with the believers. Verse 27 to 30. Look at those verses quickly if you would. Only conduct or Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word worthy there is a Roman word that we would get to mean for citizen. So the Apostle Paul here is actually doing a play on words that may not be at first seeable for you, but what he's saying here is, I'm a Roman citizen, and whether I'm in Rome or whether I'm anywhere else in the world, I have the rights as a Roman citizen, and I must behave and live as a Roman citizen. And now he plays off that and says, you are worthy citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have become citizens of the kingdom of God. And so matter what your circumstances or where you are, you are to always live your life worthy of the gospel as a citizen of God's great and wonderful kingdom. Your behavior and your life everywhere you go should be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And there are many other places in the New Testament that would tell us how to live worthy lives of the gospel, that we would be holy as Jesus is holy, that we would be kind, that we would be gracious, that we would serve Him in many ways. But notice how the text says that we as a body of believers can live lives worthy of the kingdom of God and the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ by standing together in one spirit by striving together for the faith of the gospel and by suffering together for the sake of Christ. We must stand together in one spirit. There must not be anything that comes between us. We must seek every day of our life to be in unity with the believers. That is the way that we live worthy of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel comes into a divided world and a divided heart and says, I give forgiveness and cleansing. Put your trust in me and all of your sins will be washed away. And I will make you whole and one again. And that's what we as a church show to the world when we say, I will learn to forgive. I will learn to love. And I will be at one spirit all the time with God's people. 
This past Monday, I went with our seniors, had a chance to go with our seniors to the senior adult rally. I thought it was going to be like a real sermon, Bible kind of thing. They, they listened to a bunch of oldies music the whole time. It was fun. We had a great time. Bill Leslie was there. And uh, they had this quartet that was singing, uh, singing oldies. I don't know. Have you all ever heard of American Bandstand? I, it's the first time I had heard of it. And, and they had this guy on the screen in the background. And uh, I think, um, who was that? Ruth Ann Guy told me that the guy in the back was Dick Clark. Have you all ever heard of that guy? It was new to me, but uh, and they played all these oldies music. It was great. But man, this song came on, and I had heard it before. It was a great song. And I just started thinking about the lyrics as we were sitting there. And I thought about my own heart, just how much that says, man, that's, that's, that's where we need to be as a congregation. And you might know these lyrics, but in the song, Stand By Me, it says, When the night has come, and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light we'll see, no, I won't be afraid. I won't be afraid just as long as you stand by me. You want to live a life worthy of the Gospel? Stand by each other in one spirit. You want to live a life worthy of the Gospel? Pull together in the same direction. All right, let me give you a couple little... <laughs> let's see, there, the deacons already did what I asked. Don't turn around now, but when you leave... I took the, or had them take the, uh, all the shoe boxes. They were in the fellowship hall, and they're just slap dab right in the middle of your way when you leave. If you, if you, you got to walk over Jesus to get out of here. That's all I'm telling you, all right? So look, this is the way we do it. The, the direction we're pulling as church, one of the directions we're pulling is to do those shoe boxes. I think Miss Mary Gibbs has like a 200 or 208. I don't remember what it is, but look, this is what she wants to tell you. Take a box, but only take a box if you're going to fill it up right. Sign your name on it and bring it back, or we will send Bruno to break your legs, all right? All right, she didn't say to tell you that, but the direction our church is pulling for the gospel is to do the, uh, the, the shoe boxes. So look, even if you don't have the money, we'll help you with it. You want to pull in the same direction as your church? Just take one of those boxes and go live for Jesus. All right, look, Brian's done a lot of work. They try and set up, uh, have the pumpkin patch here, and and uh, give um, you know do the water or the watermelons, do the pumpkins for the community, and invite them to come. And we you know we always try and make a big deal out of the fall festival. Look, I, you know, look, I know all of you live busy lives, you travel, all this kind of thing. Just find the things that we are striving together and pull in that direction. At least find a couple of them and say, you know what, I can't do everything, but I'll jump on board and I'll pull in that direction. Same thing on Wednesday nights here in October. Uh, suffering together for the sake of Christ. Now, the last couple of verses of this chapter defeat the prosperity gospel before it ever gets going. The word granted there, for to you it has been granted not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's the word a gift. Like a Christmas gift, right? Okay, Your suffering is a Christmas gift from Jesus to you. right? Nobody wants to think of that way. But when you suffer, and we suffer together, it pulls us closer to the cross and closer to the identity of Jesus that we suffer with Him for the cause of Christ. These are settled convictions that we must have. I was reading this last week, and 
I found this, it's a poem, but it's not really, it's just kind of a statement somebody made, and there's all kinds of stories about where it came from, and I, I don't know, I'm not going to dive into one of those, but I find that when I read it, it kind of sums up what I'm saying about these settled convictions from this text. And so I'll read it for you, and we'll enter in upon our time of the Lord's Supper today. The title of it is, The Fellowship of the Unashamed. I am part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The die has been cast, I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back and let up and slow down and back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence and prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought and compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until He comes. And when He comes to get His own, He will have no problem recognizing me, for my colors will be clear. We are a church made up of fallen, flawed people who have come to put their faith in the perfect Son of God that takes away sins and redeems all who put their faith in Him. We will rejoice in the saving work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Would you bow with me for a moment? Brothers and sisters, those of you that are here with us today, in just a moment we will move into the time, take our Lord's Supper. But as we move into the time, right now, just alone, privately, right where you are, this is the place, this, this is the time to make some settled convictions. I will rejoice no matter what my circumstances in the good grace and saving work of Jesus. I will honor Christ whether I live or die. Everything that I have, I'll give to Him. And I will live a life worthy of the Gospel in unity, pulling in the same direction with everyone else. I hope and pray today that we would all say that in our hearts and that we would live that this week. And I have a word of prayer, and then our deacons will rise and we'll begin the Lord's Supper. Father, I do pray for our congregation here today, member and visitor alike, that You would bring healing and strength and grace, and that You would help us, Lord, to have courage to live our lives for You. And Lord, we might... 
You might get fired up hearing a poem like that, but tomorrow morning's going to come in a hurry and life will run right over us and it's busy. But would you change our wills and spirits and minds today? And we will get up tomorrow and we will fight with everything that we have and the help of the Spirit of God and the prayers of others to live for you. Please help us today. It's in the name of Christ we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.